You're listening to the sermon series on the letter to the Philippians at Sojourn Church Midtown. In this letter, the Apostle Paul calls believers to live on the earth now as citizens of heaven. This means that Christians should find their identity not in this world, but in the world to come centered on Jesus Christ. Well, peace be with you, Sojourn Midtown. I hope that you're ready to to dive into the word today as we are going to start uh, our series in the book of Philippians. Uh, The title of the series is Philippians, Citizens of Heaven. And today's going to be part one, and we're going to discuss the fellowship of the gospel. Now, I know that there's a lot of things that are on uh, your mind as they are on my mind. Um, A lot of things that are happening in our nation as well as in our city. And so I want to announce two things for you. One is uh, we are going to have a special live stream event tomorrow that is going to be the Gospel and Justice Part 2 tomorrow at 6.30. Okay. Now, this is going to be pre-recorded tomorrow morning so that we can uh, make sure that we don't have any technical issues like we had last time. But I want to invite you to join. Directly following that, we are going to have a, a Zoom call. The link will be put in the live stream and we're going to ask members to come in on a Zoom call as we'll have a, a very participatory call where members can ask and, uh, and visitors as well. We're going to do a Q&A. Uh, besides that, this week, we're also going to announce our plans to regather. So at the beginning of the week, throughout our social media, as well as via email, you'll receive information about what we are planning to do to regather. Well, let's pray. And then we're going to kick off this series that I believe God has for us for such a time as this. Uh, Father, I pray that your will will be done as we study the book of Philippians. I pray, Father God, that you would just help us um, to grow in your word as a church. I pray that even right now you would give me the words to speak for your name's sake and glory. In Christ's name, amen. Well, as we talk about the book of Philippians, let me give you a, a little background into the book and, uh, and just to let you know who Paul was writing to. Uh, the Apostle Paul, as he wrote the book of Philippians, was writing to the church at Philippi. It's a church that he helped start as a missionary as recorded in Acts chapter 16. And now Paul is writing this letter, but he's 800 miles away from the church at Philippi in prison in Rome, imprisoned in Rome. We actually have a map for you um, that is going to kind of show you where Philippi is. It is in uh, what would be called modern Greece today. So we have some pictures to show you modern Greece today, as well as Philippi today and what it looked like in the first century. Philippi is, was considered Eastern Macedonia in Paul's day is Northeastern Greece today. And it's, uh, was considered to be a Roman colony and was called little Rome. It was called little Rome because it was a miniature reproduction of the imperial city. It was a special city that people took pride in being a citizen of. It was special because uh, those who were citizens of that city were not heavily taxed. They were also protected because Philippi was an outpost for Roman soldiers. It was a place that Roman soldiers would actually go to retire. It was a beautiful city 
filled with people who were proud to be citizens of the city as well as of Rome. And so as we think about that, I want you to watch out for several themes in the book of Philippians. Several themes before we dive into today's message that I want you to consider as we go through this book together as a family. The first is Paul is going to emphasize that we are citizens of heaven. And you can go and read it later. Philippians 19b through 20, Paul says, but our citizenship is in heaven. And this is going to be a theme that's going to be recurring throughout the book of Philippians. What it means to be a little, a legal citizen of the kingdom of heaven, to no longer be a citizen of this world or of Rome, but of heaven. And this is really important for us to dive into, especially now in a election year, as well as um, as we in the, in, are in the midst as a culture of a, a, an awakening in many ways, as many people are becoming uh, alive to the idea of, of, of the oppressed and social injustice. And so we're going to learn what it means to be a citizen of heaven, how we respond differently to those uh, than those who are citizens of this world as it relates to injustice, remembering that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual wickedness in high places. Second is going to be this theme of suffering. The Apostle Paul is, again, in prison in Rome on house arrest, chained to a Roman soldier. You talk about quarantine. You think you feel uncomfortable? Imagine being on house arrest right now. Imagine not being able to sit on your porch, go to your backyard, to, to go out in public with a mask on and to, have, and to see some people, right? The Apostle Paul was on house arrest. And even though people could come and visit him, it wasn't the same. He was suffering. But also Christians in Rome were suffering. As they uh, made up only about 50,000 um, of uh, 16 million people who made up uh, as citizens of Rome, according to uh, Robert, Robert Wilkins, the Christian as the Romans knew it. Fantastic book. So Christians are suffering as outcasts. They're suffering because people are misrepresenting them and really don't understand. Them. Third thing that we see is the theme of joy. The theme of joy. We see over and over in the Gospels that Jesus was concerned about his disciples' joy. And he preached that the Christian life is hard. It is about sacrificing. It does have mourning. But that God gives us a... Uh, a internal supernatural joy, uh, spiritual joy that the world didn't give and that the world can't take away. And in John chapter 15, verse 11, Jesus says this, these things I have spoken to you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full, might be full. The book of Philippians is going to teach us what it means to have full joy, to experience the fullness of God in such a way that we have a, a happiness that's not circumstantial. It's not circumstantial. The word joy is used four times, or kara, what we have for joy, four times in the book of Philippians. The word rejoice is used eight times. Paul, though he is in prison, writes an upbeat, joyous letter to the church at Philippi. And he's going to teach us throughout the book of Philippians how to do what he says in Philippians 4.4. 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. In the midst of this pandemic, in the midst of racial unrest, in the midst of riots, in the midst of sickness, in the midst of marital problems, Paul is going to teach us through the book of Philippians what it means to rejoice and how to cultivate joy. And how do you cultivate joy? That's the fourth thing we're going to look at is the theme of the mind. 
The word mind, think, and remember occurs 16 times in the book of Philippians. And God is going to help us to rethink our thinking. God is going to help us to rid ourselves of stinking thinking. He's going to help us to have joy by setting our affection, setting our mind on Christ. And this is really powerful. So in essence, as we think about the series, if I had to sum up the series, it would be this. This series will help us to cultivate the mind of Christ as citizens of the kingdom of heaven who walk worthy of the gospel of Jesus. That's Philippians 1. 27, Paul tells them to walk worthy of the gospel of Jesus, experiencing the fullness of joy despite living in a fallen world. Despite living in a fallen world. My prayer for us as a church is that by the end of the series, we would with Paul say for to live is Christ and to die is gain. To die is gain. To die is gain. So today for the next 15 minutes, we're going to talk uh, from the subject as we talk about, we're going to talk about single-mindedness for the next three weeks. How the Apostle Paul is helping us to cultivate our mind through single-mindedness. And, and, and the way in which we do that is by having a gospel fellowship. A gospel fellowship. What does the word fellowship mean? Well, in our English Bibles, we see fellowship is translated a number of different ways here in chapter one through the CSB in verse four, as well as verse seven. We see the word partnership and partner to have fellowship is in essence to have something in common with someone. It was popularly used to speak of marriage unions or deep friendships and bonds among people. And so when Paul talks about the fellowship of the gospel in Philippians chapter 1, verse 1 through 11, he he talks about us being partners in the gospel, partners in the gospel of grace. And as is to have fellowship, it's to be in the same boat with someone. It's to be headed in the same direction. It's to be on the same mission. Fellowship, fellows, multiple people in the same ship. And as Christians, this word fellowship means to be committed with a group of people to follow Jesus, to be disciples of Jesus, and to be fisher of men. And to have this type of fellowship takes grit. Because even though we are in the same boat with people, we don't have the same backgrounds. We don't have the same upbringings. We don't have the same cultures. We don't have the same personalities. And so this gospel fellowship is a spiritual fellowship by which God brings our hearts together and allows us to be on the same mission with the same vision. And our vision here at Sojourn Midtown is to fill up our city with gritty disciple makers, to be in the same boat together. And so today we want to look at what are the marks of genuine gospel fellowship? What are the marks of genuine gospel fellowship? And why do we need this genuine gospel fellowship? We need this genuine gospel fellowship so that we can have the same joy that the Apostle Paul had when he wrote this letter. Even though we're in prison, even though we're in a pandemic, even though we are experiencing the the prince of powers and, and the rulers of this world through injustice, We can still have joy together and hope because we have each other and we're not in it alone. 
And that's the beautiful thing about the church. We have each other. We're not in it alone. So what makes up gospel fellowship? Four things makes up genuine gospel fellowship. The first is humility. Verse one, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God, our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. I'm struck by Paul's humility as he writes this letter. Here, Paul does not bring up his um, apostolic calling. He doesn't do what he often does in other letters. Paul, an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I believe that the reason he doesn't bring up his apostolic calling is because the church of Philippi were responding to his calling as an apostle. When Paul preached, when Paul was in need, they were present. So he is able to write in a way that doesn't lean on his position because they are receptive. They're receptive. And notice here that not only does he not say he's an apostle, but he includes Timothy. Timothy more than likely is his secretary here, but he includes Timothy. He helps him to to receive some of the the benefit and, and, and recognition of this letter. And notice what he says. They're servants of Christ Jesus. Even though Paul has an official position in the church of an apostle, an important position, what does he do? He says, I'm a servant. I'm a bond servant. Some translations, I'm a slave. And he's not talking about chattel slavery, race-based slavery. No, but he's saying, I belong to a master and that master is Jesus. And how do you cultivate humility? You cultivate humility by realizing that you belong to Jesus Christ, who is a servant above all servants, who though he is Lord of the universe, he came to serve. To the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including overseers and deacons, notice how Paul is giving honor to every member of the body. Those who belong to Jesus, who are a part of the church, they are saints, hagios. They are holy ones. He gives a shout out to all the pastors and elders, those who are overseers. He gives a shout out to those who are deacons, those who serve the needs of the saints. And he says, grace to you, peace to you from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Paul is able to have this humility, not by white knuckling it, not through his own strength. He is able to have this because he has experienced the grace of Jesus. And the grace of Jesus allows him to live in the peace of Jesus. Grace is the root. Peace is the fruit. And humility It's so important for true gospel fellowship. It's so important as we do life together as the church that we don't see big eyes and little U's, that we don't seek to elevate ourselves over other people, that we're not living um, in order to receive the praise of man, but that we see ourselves as servants of Jesus Christ. That's when deep gospel fellowship happens. When you're able to be in your community group and not one up each other. When you're able to have deep conversations about race and ethnic reconciliation or conciliation without getting angry or upset, when you're able to forgive one another. Second, not only do we see gospel humility here, but we also see that Paul expresses gratitude. He expresses gratitude. Look at how the Apostle Paul uh, refers to this church with such affection. He, he, he goes on to tell them in verse three, I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you. Paul is remembering them. He's remembering how the church started with a young woman by the name of Lydia who 
supernaturally experience the grace of God and return and, and put his, her trust in Jesus. Read Acts chapter 16. Read Acts chapter 16. He's remember how he preached the gospel and how he was persecuted while in Philippi and put in jail and how God miraculously saved him from jail and how a Philippian jailer, how a Philippian jailer came to know Jesus and how he and the other apostles then went to Lydia's house and stayed with Lydia. And over the course of the next few weeks, they gathered a deep friendship and the church was started. He's remembering them, remembering all that they've done for him. And look at the affection that he has and look at how he speaks about them. He tells them, listen, I have you in my heart. He goes on to say how I deeply miss you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. I love you as much as Jesus Christ loves you. That's gratitude. True gospel fellowship cultivates humility as we look to Christ. But true gospel fellowship cultivates gratitude as we look to God's grace in each other's life. I know this pandemic is hard, but when was the last time you communicated deep gratitude to your spouse? I know it's hard, but when's the last time you communicated deep gratitude to a parent? They may not be perfect and and they may have wounded you, but can you show gratitude to the areas where you see God's grace? Can you see gratitude to that person in your community group? who doesn't vote or see politics the same way? Can you see that they are in the same boat as you, that they love Jesus like you, that they've been redeemed like you, that they've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light like you? And I want to encourage you to remind yourself often of of the grace of God in people's lives by doing this. You know, I went fishing in the Atlantic earlier this year. And I'm not a fisherman. I went with some friends and they had another guy that they knew who had a beautiful uh, boat. And they said, Jamal, come with us. And these were my white friends. Okay. These were my white friends. And, uh, and they knew that I was an experienced fisherman. uh, And they knew that this black brother, not only was not an experienced fisherman, um, but specifically had never been shark fishing. They wanted to go shark fishing. I was like, shark fishing? This just seems something out of a horror story. The one black guy on a boat fishing for sharks, right? But it was fun. They were gracious. They, they taught me everything that I needed to know and gave me a rod. And we cast it over a board and we were able to sit it in this little container. And uh, it was amazing. And I was able to catch the only fish that night, the only shark. I mean, the shark was this big and it was a hammerhead. Okay, really, it was this big. It was a hammerhead shark. And it was small. And uh, I was just humbled by the humility of my friends that once my rod started shaking and that fish uh, 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 got caught on my bait and how I was trying to reel it in, they were coaching me. I mean, they were cheering me on. Uh, They even unhooked it for me, told me how to hold it as it was moving and allowed me to get that picture. And they celebrated me. They celebrated. And as I was thinking about Paul talking about the church of Philippi being in the same boat, I thought about my friends and how they were in the same boat as me that night and how they were happier than me to see me catch the shark. And even though we had differences, different upbringings, different uh, experiences, different joys, at that moment, there was a commonality as we went fishing for shark. 
And I just want to encourage you to be a church that's grateful for each other, to be a church that expresses um, our, our gratefulness to each other, to be a church that's encouraging one another constantly, not nitpicking, not fighting, not losing sight of the gospel of Jesus Christ that redeemed each of us, not losing sight that we are citizens of heaven, but that is pressing deep into relationships because of what we have in common, that we were sinners, that we were lost. And like sheep had gone astray, that we were condemned and headed to hell, but that Jesus by his grace, gave us eyes to see him and saved us and gave us a common mission. Now, some of us, we have a hard time expressing gratitude because we didn't grow up in a home in which we heard thanksgiving and gratitude often. And others of us, we don't express gratitude because we don't want to flatter people. And so I just want to put up a a quick chart to help you to see the difference between gratitude and flattering. The difference between encouraging someone and flattering someone. The Proverbs give us warning after warning about how it's not good to flatter. In essence, encouragement is uh, is giving sincere acknowledgement that are exact, that are specific. We see this in verses 3 through 11. Paul gives some specific encouragements, but it's also Christ motivated. It's also Christ motivated. It hopes to be a blessing in service and in edification. It's an encouragement that is intended to benefit and to strengthen the recipient. Whereas flattery gives excessive compliments. It goes overboard and it sets a person up for pride, essentially. It is selfishly motivated. What do we mean by that? Meaning that it hopes to gain approval or advantage from the one being flattered. At the end of the day, flattery is a compliment that is intended to benefit or build up the flatterer, the person who is given a compliment and not the person. Listen, Hebrews 10, 25 encourages us to not to forsake the gathering together of believers, the fellowshipping of believers. Why? He says, uh, but rather to be concerned about uh, the encouraging one another as the day is drawing near. Go home, read Hebrews chapter 10 and read Hebrews chapter 3 and see the emphasis of the writer of Hebrews on the church, the body of Christ, encouraging one another. Paul is encouraging the people of Philippi while he is in jail, while he is in jail, because he has experienced a rich fellowship with them. He remembers the times that they've spent together eating and drinking and laughing and building God's kingdom. Third, Third is we bear one another burdens. We bear one another burdens. Now, there's three ways that Paul is going to show us um, that the church of Philippi essentially came around him while he was in prison and bore his burdens. The one first is through preaching. Chapter one, verse five, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day into now, the church of Philippi experienced gospel fellowship with Paul, not simply because they were socially active in overcoming the the ills of society, but because they were preaching the gospel together. They had a message. They were building a bridge between the church and the world, but they were sending the gospel across that bridge. Second, we see that they practice the gift of presence with Paul. 
at least four trips were made back and forth between the friends uh, of Paul who were in the church of uh, Philippi and Paul while he was in prison. And to be in prison in the first century was, was, was shameful. And in an honor and shame culture, in an honor and shame culture, for the Philippian church to identify with Paul the prisoner would have brought shame upon them, but they didn't care about that. Why? Because Paul was their apostle. Paul was their missionary. Paul was their friend and they practiced the gift of presence. So 800 miles away, they sent people to care for Paul. They practiced the gift of presence. And third, they opened their pocketbooks or purse. We're going to see In Philippians 4.15, that they're going to give money to the Apostle Paul. They're going to help pay for his expenses while he's on house arrest. And so how do we bear one another's burdens? It's by living on mission together, by making sure that we understand that we are not isolated Christians that are on this journey by ourselves, but that we do mission together in community. We preach the gospel in community. Second, we practice the gift of presence together. When one of us is suffering, it's as if all of us are suffering. When one is going through grief because of the loss of a parent, it's as if all of us is going in grief. When one of us in a community group is hospitalized, we are all present to that person. When, when a family is fostering kids, we help to bear that responsibility. When a person is finding their faith weakening, we come alongside that person and we encourage that person. When a person is idle, we go and we confront that person and we spur them on. We bear each other's burdens. And even now in the midst of uh, this, this racial tension, that is happening all over this country because of Ahmaud Arbery's death, because of George Floyd's death, because right here in Louisville, Breonna Taylor's death, we bear each other's burdens. And I've been so encouraged to see many of our uh, white members of this church come alongside black, brown, and Asian members who are hurting because of these injustices and hurting because in the Asian community, the way in which uh, they are being uh, persecuted uh, because of uh, the way in which this pandemic started um, in Asia. And we come alongside them by empathizing, by lamenting, by loving, by not countering narratives, but by listening, by preaching the gospel to each other. Oh, how much we've grown in the last four years on this. And we are in the same boat as our city is hurting together. Lastly, a mark of true gospel fellowship is is that we learn to pray together and to pray for each other in a meaningful way. Paul is going to pray for the church of Philippi in three ways. One, that their love would keep growing. How often do we stop and pray for one another, that our love for Jesus and love for neighbor will keep growing. We, like Paul, need to pray this and we see this in verse eight. For God is my witness, how deeply I miss all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. What a motto of community. Verse nine, and I pray this, that your love will keep on growing and knowledge in every kind of discernment so that you may approve the things that are superior and be 
may be pure and blameless in the day of Jesus. So Paul prays that they would grow in love, that they would grow in that greatest commandment. Paul also prays that they would grow in wisdom and knowledge and every kind of discernment. Why? So that you may be wholly essential, so that you may approve of things that are superior, that are most important, that you may be pure and blameless. This word pure and blameless was a, was a term that would have been used in the merchant community. As merchants would purchase expensive pottery, they would take the pottery and they would put it up against the sun. They would turn it against the sun to see if there was any blemishes in it before purchasing it. It's literally uh, made up. The word pure is laid up in the Greek of two words to judge and son, judge and son, to judge something by the sun. And in essence, Paul is saying, I'm praying that you will grow in God's love. I'm praying that you will grow in his knowledge and in wisdom so that you will be able to discern what is good. And see, that's when real deep fellowship happens. When you're in the same boat with a group of Christians and when you gather, you don't just spend your time talking about frivolous things. Though it is okay to talk about frivolous things because we're brothers and sisters in Christ and because we're friends But we also make sure that we spend our time talking about the things that matter most, as Paul says, the things that are superior, those spiritual things that we're able to look each other in the eye and say, how's your marriage? That we're able to look at ourselves in the eye and say, how is pursuing purity? That we're able to look each other in the eye and talk about how are you stewarding your money? That we're able to sit alongside each other. How are you processing these events in the media? That we're able to talk about how are you seeing the fruit of the spirit display? How's your parenting? How's your singleness? How's your relationships? Paul said, I am praying for you in this way that you'll grow in love, that you'll grow in knowledge and wisdom and discernment. And finally, that you will be filled with the fruit of righteousness that come through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Paul's vision for the church of Philippi is that they would be filled with the righteousness that comes from Christ Jesus. Let's go to Philippians chapter one, verse six. See, when we have this deep fellowship together, when we're in community in this way, we are praying very specific prayers, but we also have confidence with those Uh, in those who are in the boat with us. Verse six, Paul says, I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. Paul says, I'm confident that this God, who's the one who started this good work in them, is God the Father. It's God the Father. Grace to you, verse two, and peace from God our Father. God is the one who saved them. God is the one who softened their heart through the Spirit. He said, I'm confident that this God who saved you is the same God who's going to complete your faith. And that should be the goal of all of us, to be in the boat with fellow believers in such a way that we can be confident. We can be confident that the God who saved them is the God who's going to sanctify them and the God who's going to glorify them because we've lived in relationship, deep relationship with one another enough where we can verify God's grace. So as we draw to a close, I want to ask you this question. Are you living a me-centered life or a we-centered life? Do you have deep friendships and fellowships with fellow believers? Are you praying 
for church members to grow in the wisdom and knowledge of God to be filled with righteousness? Do you have friends and, and, and church members who are praying for you in this way, with whom you can be vulnerable with? Are you regularly moving towards those that you are doing community with? You can't move towards everyone. You have to set boundaries, but you should be living life. You should be in the boat with some people helping them to bear their burdens and having people around you who are helping you to bear your burdens. Paul is an apostle. He saw the Lord Jesus Christ. He was a brilliant man, and yet he needed other people to keep him. He needed other people to encourage him. He needed other people to provide for him. And he had the humility to accept that from other people. Do you? Church, I am so thankful for you all. And I am confident of this, that he who begun a good work in you, Sojourn Midtown, will bring it to completion. You say, Pastor Jamal, this pandemic has been kicking my butt. He who has begun a good work in you will bring it to completion. Pastor Jamal, if you knew my depression, he who has begun a good work in you will bring it to completion. Pastor Jamal, I just wrestle. Sometimes I wonder if I even belong to the Lord. Well, get in community. Get in the same boat as other people. Allow them to sharpen you and hear this, that he who begun a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Every Sunday we take a meal together called Communion. We break bread and we drink juice. The wine is marked by twine. And this meal reminds us of Christ's love. Paul had a deep affection for the church of Philippi, but it did not compare to the affection that Christ had for them. And this meal reminds us of the affection that Christ has for us. Let's pray. Hi, I'm Jamal Williams, lead pastor of Sojourn Midtown. Thanks for listening. At Midtown, we value gospel-centeredness, biblical faithfulness, transformative relationships, diverse fellowship, creativity in the arts, and relentless mission. For more sermons, info about our church, visit sojournchurch.com slash midtown.